Hello. Hi, Becky. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It is absolutely my pleasure. Um, I I would say introduce me to your husband, but yeah, I've, I've, right never, <laughs> I've never met uh, either of you. <laughs> so do you? Uh, his name is Saeed. Saeed. Yes. Hi, hi, Becky. Hi, Saeed. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, sure. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And then um, Swarnika, I'm not sure. I... Swarnika. Yes, like you'd say Erica or Monica. Okay, got it. <laughs> thank you. Thank it's you. An unusual name, even in India, so it's fine. Is it unusual in India? Yes. Do you, does it have a meaning? Do you know it? Um. Yeah, it's um named for a Hindu goddess of, mm. of prosperity. Oh. The one we celebrate. Um. Uh, the goddess we celebrate during Diwali. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> wow. So your big event is coming up here next Sunday. Yes, my um, parents named all three of their kids um, from Hindu scriptures. So my sister is named after the goddess of victory, mm. power and victory. Um, I'm named after the goddess of prosperity. And my brother's, well, he's not named after anyone. It's just a very common name. Okay, I see. I see. Now, are there multiple names for the same goddess? Because I guess. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's also. Um, I think the goddess in question has 101 names. <laughs> okay. Then she has a lot of namesakes too. You can yeah. always find a name you like <laughs> if you want a name. <laughs> I got it. I got it. So, and you guys are in Michigan. Is that true? Yes, that's true. Okay. So is it, what about 630 there? Um, 735. Oh, oh, you're also Eastern Standard Time. Yes. Yeah, I'm always surprised, I guess, by how far west that extends. Um, so, okay. Okay, well, thank you. I hope you've had time to eat after work and some downtime. Yeah. Yes, we have. Thank you. Okay, good, 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 good. Okay, so maybe we can just start by you guys um, telling me a little bit about yourselves and then your story together. Um how you met, where you met, how long you've been married, all of those things. Um, we met in grad school. Mm. Um, we used to, we, we were living in the same building, but we didn't like, we hadn't, we didn't make it organically through that. Mm. Um, we went to the same school and we met on a dating app, Coffee Maid's Bagel. Oh Yeah. And then when he was like, when we were making plans to go on our first date, he, um, I asked him, where do you live? Because, you know, I was just trying mm -hmm. to find a place to meet that's not too out of the way for anyone. Mm -hmm. And he like gave me the address of the building. <laughs> <laughs> I live in the same building. Floor. He's like, okay, I live on the fifth floor. <laughs> we can meet in the middle on the third floor. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we met. Um, in 2016 okay. and we got married in 2018 okay married four years wonderful wonderful okay and were you guys in the states when you met and got no. you were yeah. okay yeah. okay so where were you each raised um i grew up in india i came to the u.s for grad school mm -hmm. and yeah and i grew up in iran and i moved to the u.s when i was uh in 2010 when i was 20 when you were 20 okay yeah. so you did you move um with most of your family by yourself 
How did that yeah, work out? But, but most of my family were already here. Uh, like, uh, so I, I was the last one. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that includes parents, siblings and everything. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I have extended family, but uh, my, my prime, like my parents mm-hmm. and siblings are all here. Okay. You have extended family still in Iran. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see. Okay. Um, and then when you met, did it feel like you were just, um, you know, at, at home with each other culturally, or did you feel like, oh, we have so much to talk about because our cultures are so different and this is just such a vibrant explosion <laughs> that's happening here? You know, we actually did have a lot to talk about, mm. but it wasn't because the cultures were so different. It was because they were so similar. Mm. And we spent a lot of time in the beginning, especially languages. So Sanskrit, um, on which Hindi is based, and Farsi have the same root. So we have a lot of similarities in the language it's, itself. Like a lot of, um, and India was under Mughal rule. And the court language was Farsi for like a few hundred years in India. So a lot of... I did not know that. Yeah, so a lot of Farsi has crept into the language we speak day to day in the North. So first first few months, we were like, oh, do you have... How do you say door in Farsi? Like, darwaza. Like, oh, we have the same thing. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so it was things like that. And... Whenever I used to share like any experiences from growing up, I didn't have to explain too much, like too much context, mm-hmm. because you know he understood that it was similar context for him too. Yeah, the, the family dynamics and the family values and the that that is very similar. So like even even if my family is not like that, I can easily picture if uh, mm. you know some, some other family who has who might like have that kind of dynamics. So mm-hmm. yeah. You were familiar with the family yeah. dynamic that Swarnaka grew up with. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that. What kind of family dynamic and family values was that like for you, Swarnaka? So for me, my family is actually very, very open. Mm. <laughs> we talk about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and just there's no formality. That, that, that was one thing which I felt differed from. Iranian culture where I felt I don't know if it's Iranian culture as a whole but definitely his family they're they're very polite and very formal and they mm. like it's just the politeness is just really strong mm. and we don't have it like that and our family is just very informal mm. doing something for family it's like well obviously they're doing it for family it's <laughs> you don't have to thank them so many times mm. Mm. but Mm. For example, um, earlier this year, it was my niece's birthday in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And so we went there and so it was helping every, set everything up. And my sister, who also has a lot of Iranian friends, and she's like, you know, they, they're they so polite. They thank each other so many times. <laughs> I feel like we don't thank him enough. Like, you, know, <laughs> you take each other for granted. <laughs> no, he'll be fine. So you'd when she started to say that your family or your culture was um was uh what was the word that you used Swarnika formal formal yeah, did formal. did you feel yeah. like oh yeah we are or did you think what are you talking about that's that's so new to I, me. like I think my experience my family especially like uh yeah it, it is more like they're more formal like 
you know, having, you know, hard to hard conversations mm. don't happen that much. It's not something that we discuss mm. feelings and those things very open and quite often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, I, I wouldn't say that's, you know, it's a something that's very widespread in Iran. Mm. Uh, I've seen families who are very much more open. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just, you know, it's just the, you know, my family. <laughs> it's just your family. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and different people, different personalities, different families. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Okay. So what, what felt, um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to stick on this for a minute, if you don't mind, <laughs> because um, you even mentioned this, um, Svarnika, when you emailed mm-hmm. me and I was actually going to read it because it, honestly, it shocked me. For exactly what you're saying, to be honest, I think I think of um, I think of my Indian friends as like like very freewheeling, um, anything goes, um, very vibrant, and I think I guess more of the Iranians that I've met as um, yeah, a little more um, serious, a little more sober minded. I guess is what I would say. Um, certainly, you know, and and I guess I think of the religious, um, the dominant religions in each culture mm-hmm. as very, very different, which seems yeah. to dictate a lot of um, a lot of uh, cultural values and and even ways that we relate to each other. So, anyhow, you said in your email, you said Indian and Iran are so culturally similar that Iranians don't seem like different people to me. We've grown up with similar values and traditions. So, can you speak to that a little bit? What are some of those similar? We talked about a little bit about the differences between your families. What are some of those um, similarities? Do you think? So here's the thing. I've always believed that the majority religion of a place has a big influence on the culture of the place like the two feed each other yeah but it actually made me think that yes india and iran have like widely divergent religious practices mm-hmm. india's primarily hinduism the, is the majority religion mm-hmm. and islam is obviously uh, sorry iran is obviously islam mm-hmm. but you know, they are actually culturally very similar um, in terms of they're both patriarchal cultures. Hmm. And the way families operate, it's not different, like the differential attitude towards people older than you. Mm -hmm. Um, The family dynamics, especially the family life that people have. Mm. The way you're expected to behave in certain situations, Mm. the good and the bad they're pretty much the same in both places. Mm. And, you know, not just that, I, I don't have any first-hand experience, but from what I've read, like, I read a lot. So from mm. what I've read, I don't think it's that different in Pakistan. I don't think it's that different mm. in Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. I think it's pretty much the same in all of those places as well. Well, it's interesting because when you were talking about the Farsi, you know, that's one of the dominant religions in um, Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, And so it is interesting what you're saying in that um, I don't know how long ago, is it the Morgul rule? What's it called? M-U-G-H-A-L. Yes. Um, I think around 1300s went on till 1857, ended in 1857. Mm. So that's 500 years of shared uh, history. (laughs) Yes, except um, Iranians don't consider Mughals to be Persians. No, they're Middle Easterns, right? Didn't they 
right? Or yeah. am I wrong? They, they conquered Iran too. Like they came in and pillaged and, you know, mm-hmm. did a lot of violence. And the fact that the, they, they, like, because Iran was established, like, a, you know, had a, they had the formal government. So mm-hmm. they took a lot of their ministers and their advisors were Farsi speakers because they took them from Iran. Mm. Um, and they went when they went to India. That's part of the reason why Farsi was the court language. Was that these guys? They brought these guys over. I see. Yeah, I and see. That like there have been multiple waves of um, Zoroastrians migrating from Iran to India to escape religious persecution. Yes. So we have a very vibrant Farsi community as well, which yes. has over the years like become a very integral part of the Indian culture too. Yes. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, just staying with this for a moment, and then I want to mm-hmm. talk about um, some of those values and practices, but just staying with the history for a moment. Um, Saeed, I-, I might be very wrong on this, but I am remembering, again, perhaps incorrectly from another interview, mm-hmm. was it the Morgals who brought the Muslim religion no. to Iran? No. No. So... Um, what, what happened was, uh, there was a, the Islam came to Iran, mm. um, through an invasion from the first, uh, like Islamic dynasty. Mm. Uh, and they, they ruled over large parts of, um, Iran for, you know, a few hundred years mm-hmm. and they, their empire was all the way to like uh, North Africa to Spain mm-hmm. and through the like Tur- modern day Turkey. So there was a very large empire, but mm-hmm. it came through, you know, violence and, you know, uh, initially, and then they mm-hmm. were, you know, kind of started slowly. Uh, uh, people started accepting it eventually, mm-hmm. but it was definitely through uh, that. And then when the Mughals came, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, th- there was this tradition that Islam was the court religion, and mm-hmm. um, they they kind of didn't uh, outlaw Islam. They uh, they they saw there were some goods at that moment. Mm-hmm. At that period of time, Islam was at its height, so mm-hmm. they didn't uh, discourage that. And they actually eventually some of those kings be- became uh, people who converted a lot of people. Uh, to Islam outside of Iran, uh, mm. but that was uh, yeah Islam. There was a there's a long history. Um, I see of uh, you know um, that kind the- of invasions from uh, west the west of Iran that brought mm-hmm. Islam. I see. In the same way. Well, I was going to ask you about that because there is, um, like you said, Hinduism is the dominant religion, but there's also pretty large subsections of Muslims and Christians in India. How do you think that India maintained, um, one, Hinduism as its primary religion, and two, um, a more diverse set of religions? So Islam came to India, I think, around 1180 mm. or so. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of invasions, like uh, Tughlaq Dynasty, Mamluk Dynasty, a lot of them. And mm. they weren't nice to mm-hmm. indigenous populations. It it was primarily genocide, massacres, desecration of temples. Mm-hmm. Um, through all that time, until Mughal rule was overthrown in 1857, Mm. when we lost to the British, 
Hindus in India had to pay something called jazia. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I've heard of this. You have to, yeah, you pay that when basically you're considered an infidel. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's basically your tax for not being yes. Muslim. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and that I mean, practice, that's still practiced, I think, in many parts of the yeah. world. Certainly, yeah. I've heard of it against Christians. Like, to have to pay that to practice your faith in your own country. Right. Um, but that's how Islam came to India. Some Mughal rulers were nicer than others. Like um, there was one called Akbar. Mm-hmm. He tried to actually form a new religion. Oh. Well, he brought together the religious heads of Hinduism, Sikhism, and Islam. Mm. I don't think Christianity was a big thing back then. Um, and he tried to like get the best teachings of all these three religions to form his own set of beliefs, but it didn't take off. Mm. And right. Some of them are more brutal than the others. Mm-hmm. And Christianity mainly came, Christianity is actually recent. Also, no, it's it's also oh. very old, as is Judaism in, is, mm. in India too. We have a very small Jewish population, but mm. it's there. Mm-hmm. India is one of the oldest synagogues in Asia. Mm. Um, uh, Christianity actually came very long time ago with, mm. I think, one of the apostles. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's very old. And, mm. and it's never been a big uh, population, but mm-hmm. it's always been there. And uh, it took off once India started getting invaded by the Portuguese, the Dutch, the mm-hmm. British, the French. And right. that was a very bloody part of history, too, that people, yeah. they neither know nor they talk about. It's not in history books. Mm. I studied, like, I finished all my education in India. Mm. not once was it covered in any of our textbooks i read that after graduating because i wanted to know more about our history i actually had to go seek out sources which covered that nothing really? about the, nothing about the forced conversions nothing about the inquisitions i mean people have heard of the spanish inquisition they mm. haven't heard of the goa inquisition mm. people being forcibly converted um like you were denied education uh, if you didn't convert, people being denied medical care if you didn't convert by missionary hospitals, missionaries. Mm. Um, I actually studied for 10 years in a Christian missionary school, a Catholic school. Mm. But thankfully, mine was, they, they were not trying to evangelize. They were not trying to force anyone, but mm. that definitely still exists. But the good thing is, you know, even through all of that, in India, for the most part, people have been able to coexist peacefully for a very long time, actually mm-hmm. for hundreds of years. We have occasions where it gets bad, mm-hmm. but people are always able to come together mm-hmm. and live peacefully as neighbors like they've always done, mm-hmm. which I actually really, really, really value about my country. Mm-hmm. It's always been a home for the persecuted people. and. I hope it goes back to being that. You hope it returns to being that. You feel like it's going away from that value right now. Yes. In what ways do you see that happening? I see more polarization. I don't know if it's because as a kid, I wasn't looking for that. Maybe Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that as a kid. Uh, I have like a very vivid memory from when I was maybe four or five. and. It was um, 
one of our festivals, the one that comes before Diwali. Mm. Yeah, I think I just learned about this one. It's it's 10 days and yes, yes ancestors. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so my family was like, you know, families go um, about in town. It's very, it's like everything is decorated. It's very beautiful. And I remember passing a mosque um, that had a loudspeaker and it was blaring a Hindu prayer. Hmm. And to me, that's that's kind of the essence of my country, the way I've always seen it. Hmm admittedly from a biased lens because I, mm-hmm. you want to see what's good in it mm-hmm. but you can't just ignore what's what it does wrong too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right this is true i think for any of our countries right yeah 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 and the strength is the the more the more that you can recognize i think um mm-hmm. what you do wrong and and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit um the difference between having the freedom to do that and not um when you said that you find that they're similar because they're patriarchal couple, um, patriarchal societies and the way that, um, I think you said the way that families work, um, do you mean the idea of going, well, I, I have in my mind what I think you, I, I, I had guesses. What do you mean by that? Can you give me some examples? Um, yes. For example, like, suppose you live in a 700 square feet apartment Mm. and either my family or his family it's this is hypothetical i'm just Mm -hmm. giving an example Mm -hmm. i understand yes you're not sharing a story from your past right now you're Mm -hmm. telling me something you've seen repeated again and again if any of our families say like five of them decide to visit it's mm-hmm. unthinkable that you would even suggest they get a hotel or an Airbnb. <laughs> you are going to bunk in that 700 square feet apartment and you're going, and you're going to have a good time. <laughs> I can give another example. Like, mm. you know, um, historically, it, it was very common that when a couple got married, they would mm-hmm. go and live with the, the, husband. the husband's family. Right. In, in Iran, uh, homes are actually built for that. Like when you go to old homes, you see there is like uh, houses have four sides mm-hmm. and they're usually like each side is for a season, but they have rooms where the different couples would stay in. So mm-hmm. it, it was it was to the point that it was built into the houses. And I hear that like I heard like her family, like uh, mm-hmm. fa- living with the extended family, it's quite common. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's another like something that is you know actually affected uh, architecture of, of how they amazing they build homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was that the case for either of your families? Did you live with extended family? Was there an expectation that um, no, you would do we that? Lived, we both lived uh, in nuclear families, mm. which okay. I'm glad of. Because... Yeah, my family was unique because my father moved away for his job. Mm. But uh, so, but the rest of my family, um, they were that was quite common. Like even in generations before, mm. uh, it was very common. It was the, it was the norm. Was I see. Many, yeah. Right. I see. I understand. Um, Saeed, when your father, so you said you were the last to come to the U.S., but your father had moved away for his job. When I say I was the last, like with, it was a very short period. I, I see. I was just in months. the university. Yeah, I was just, yeah, mm-hmm. I was in the university. I was, uh, you know, there was like a little bit of plans where I would finish and when I would come to the U.S. So uh, that, that, that was the reason, like it wasn't a long gap. 
Right, so I see. We were living in Iran, uh, and then we moved. Okay, uh, yeah. so so he moved away like to a different region. It's like moving from DC yeah. to Florida or something, yeah, yeah. all within something the same like country. That. Yeah, you I get understand. a job from a different city, and then you go. Yeah, I understand. Okay, okay. So, um, Swarnika, you didn't grow up in India, but I'm uh, sorry. Yes, <laughs> I know. Sorry. sorry. Yes, I I. I, I completely misspoke. You're- you didn't grow up in Iran. Your husband no. did. But when um, when this, I, is it okay if I call it a revolution? Because I feel like that's what's happening. It is. Okay. Yeah. When this revolution started um, three weeks ago, a month ago, I'm, I'm not sure how long ago it was, you um, were so passionate Um you spoke about it so passionately and um, you shared so much um, and and so quickly that I actually came to the conclusion that I was mistaken <laughs> and you were Iranian, but, but I was, but I wasn't. Um, what, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of causes. There's what's that? What makes me care about it particularly? What made you speak out? Yeah. Well, it was a personal experience going back to when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I went to a college in the southern part of India. Mm-hmm. And it it was basically a mini run. Mm. What do you mean uh, by that? They were they had a very regressive mindset. The college had, and this is common across the country. It's mm-hmm. not just that college, but this is a common feature across a lot of university campuses in India Mm. they were they treated their female students like second-class citizens Mm. for example um, campuses over there are different from the U.S. as in we have one large walled campus it's not like one portion of one computer science school of computer sciences here Mm -hmm. and mechanical engineering is like say in downtown it's not like that Mm -hmm. it's all one big university one big campus it's all walled off Mm-hmm. and it restricts access like if you're not in the university you probably can't get it for a lot of them mm-hmm. now my university had completely different rules for men and women when i in my first year when i just got into the university the female students had to submit an affidavit from their parents basically saying that their parents are taking full responsibility for any kind of action we do that might bring shame on anyone. Yes. Wow. So define uh, what kind of action would bring shame on someone. If you get pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, while you're still in school and, you know, not married. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. If you're like caught uh, with a guy in a hotel mm-hmm. at night having sex, mm-hmm. those kind of things. Um, okay. So mm-hmm. that was the beginning female students mm-hmm. were allowed to leave the campus during the weekends mm-hmm. only with prior permission for a maximum of two hours oh my gosh who gave the permission you had to get it from the um, hostel hostel warden that's like the dorm yes the door yes. okay yes and um if you want i I think, no, I think you needed your parents' permission as well. Your parents had to like email or fax a written mm. permission that my daughter is allowed to leave the campus for two hours, mm. which the dorm, uh, the person in charge of the dorm would sign. 
And then you would have to submit your fingerprints before you left the campus. And again, when you came back. Your fingerprints? Yes, it was all biometrics. Oh, this is just the beginning of the saga. <laughs> um, some of the different, so this was just for the female students. The male students could go out and in anytime they wanted. They, like, um, I think they had a, they did have a curfew. It was 11 p.m. For female students on the weekends, it was 6 p.m. <gasps> 6 p.m. is the afternoon. <laughs> in, on the weekends. In the weekdays, it was 8 p.m. Uh, sorry, 8 p.m. was to get inside the hostel, to get inside the university gates. I think it was 7 p.m. Oh, my gosh. Not once in my four years of university have I had dinner outside because nobody serves dinner that early. Not just that, if you wanted to work, if you wanted to take part in any extracurriculars, um, you needed, female students weren't allowed to be outside their hostels after 8 p.m. Mm. A lot of these things happen after 8 p.m. Right. Uh, one of my friends, he, I had special permission to, uh, to take part in a few things. So I had basically my second and third years of university, I had no restrictions on my movement within the campus and I was extremely privileged for that I think me along with three four other girls were the only ones on and in the how, entire university who had that how did you gain that privilege I it's a long story there was oh. a Western professor from MIT who came there who set up something called an innovation center over there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and because my the administration of my university was so like over the moon about having someone from MIT over be, be over there mm -hmm. that they were willing to make a lot of concessions for people okay. who worked with him. I see. And he was he was very much against what he saw about how women were being treated over there. I see. So I had special permission, but I was very one of the very few. And I one of my teammates, I we were doing a project together. He used to head um like this was, it was a small society for mechanical engineering students mm -hmm. uh, to take part in certain competitions and mm -hmm. he went and showed me their lab and I noticed that it was like around 9 p.m and all the people working in that lab were all guys mm. not a single female student and I asked him why it's like oh because they're not allowed to be out after 8 p.m and we asked, uh, they had tried to ask for permission and they said that, okay, yes, female students can be in the lab provided you have, you like, they can be overseen by a female faculty member. Except there's no incentive for any female faculty member right. to be there at late, that late because they are not being paid extra for it. Right. So essentially you're just cutting off all the female students from developing any skills taking part in any extracurricular activities just because they happen to be girls there was moral policing there was policing on how you could dress not like in iran we weren't forced to cover our heads or anything but yeah you had to cover your uh shoulders i was once wearing uh pants uh, trousers that were just slightly above my ankles mm -hmm. maybe they were showing a bit of my calves mm -hmm. And I was trying to go to my uh, classes and all the dorms, 
they have these security guards at the entrances mm-hmm. who, if they felt a girl was not dressed decently enough, could make them go back and change. Wow. And I was asked to go and change because too much of my calves were showing as a 20-year-old. Wow. Like, no, this is not acceptable. Did you say no? I did. And, what and happened? the thing is, you know, these, these are not rules. These were not actual rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was just all made up, things they just made up. Right. Once during exam time, they just randomly changed the curfew for female students to be 4 p.m. Wow. To be in, not, in, not even for the campus, it's to be inside the dorms and not for the guys. And I asked, and they did, gave no prior notice. This was not announced. It was only if you try to leave the dorm to go do something like, you know, borrow a book or maybe just go eat. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do that. And they're like, I asked, why, why would the rules change? And he's like, it's exam time. So I said, so what difference does that make? Mm-hmm. And when I, when I went to complain to the person who was in charge of making these rules, mm-hmm. she had the audacity to ask me what my GPA was, as if that would determine whether or not my criticism you deserved an answer. would be yes. Thankfully, I had a good GPA. I was going to say, <laughs> I have a feeling I know what your GPA was. Like, she asked me, what's your GPA? I said, 9.2. Like, okay, you can go. <laughs> like, seriously, if my GPA was 6.2, that makes that makes a person less worthy of going out. Right. They need more study groups. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to speak lightly of this. No, I'm not, uh, no, no. It, it absolutely yeah. So, so uh, go ahead. I, I let basically I spoke up against all of this. It mm-hmm. became a big thing. Mm-hmm. I was suspended from my university for basically doing things that jeopardized the reputation of that university. Mm-hmm. They were trying to keep me quiet. They didn't have any grounds to go after me mm-hmm. because I wasn't breaking any rules. I was going to say, do you mind sharing why they, what, what reason did they give for suspending you? They didn't, they didn't have to give, it was not an official suspension. They wanted my parents to come and pick me up. It wouldn't go on the record. It's still not on the record. They just wanted they just to get you out of their hair. Yes. They I didn't see. want me to be talking to other people. They didn't want me making noise. Right. They didn't want so, you fomenting a revolution. Yes. <laughs> They try to get my parents to come and my parents are the kind of people who stick by their kids. Mm. They, they called my father and they said that, you know, she's, if you don't pick her up, we'll have to expel her. Mm-hmm. He said, look, if do what you have to do, just make sure if you're doing something, just make sure that my da- daughter has actually broken the law of the land, not just your laws, but the law of the land, because this will not go unanswered. And they weren't expecting a father to stick up for their daughter like that. Hmm. They, because what a it, brilliant answer. My, because, you know, it, Indian fathers in general don't do that. Mm-hmm. They are very protective. If somebody questions that, you know, that your daughter is doing something wrong or putting herself in danger, they're going to back. They're yeah. going to back away. They're going to make their kids back away. The reputation comes like, first. Yeah. They don't like ruffling feathers. Right. So they were they were so taken aback by that answer that you know oh he's not going to stop her 
Wow. Because wow. they tried doing that same thing to another girl who was to, who was speaking up mm-hmm. and her parents they came and picked her up the same day and mine wouldn't and i had told them not to so god bless your parents yeah wow and they did change the rules after that though i they did yes they did i mean they didn't relax it for female students but they made it more restrictive for the male students <laughs> <laughs> i was not that light oh swarnika yes yeah <laughs> were, did people retaliate against you um no i was a scary person wow you're so a he, force mm. i was i was just like one 90 pound person yeah with a voice i was yeah. alone i I wasn't getting much help. They were secretly watching everything. They tried, they interrogated my roommates. They asked them questions like, what kind of books does she read? Who does she, like, does she spend a lot of time talking on her phone to people? Wow. Trying to establish that maybe, you know, I was, they actually forced me to see a psychiatrist as well. Really? It was an ambush, yes. What was the goal there? Obviously, the psychiatrist trying to, to, you know, make it seem like I was a crazy person. I had some kind of like um, they also tried to make me believe that I hated men. Right. Because of what I was asking. Like, no, I don't. (laughs) You can't just don't make things up. Wow. Wow. Thankfully, the psychiatrist was he had integrity and he just told them that, no, she, she knows what she's doing and she has valid reasons for doing that. Wow. Can you imagine if they had, yes, you know, someone under their thumb? Yeah, I was lucky that that way. And this university, it's called VIT. I don't, I don't mind divulging the name. Mm -hmm. I hope hell comes to them because they Mm -hmm. need to change. They treat their people horribly. Mm -hmm. And that university is owned by like a very politically powerful family. Mm. And they have a lot of uh, say in what gets published in the newspapers. I they see. tried to suppress all of it. I this see. made the national newspaper. They were very pissed about it. Because you, did you call the press? No. No, but somebody did. Yes. It, it, yes. And they didn't you, change rules after that. Um, wow. I think, and the next um, semester after I came back, they mm-hmm. actually passed a new rule saying that anybody who speaks up or does anything that tarnishes the reputation of the university by saying anything online would have to pay a fee of, I think it was one lakh rupees. That's like $1,300 right now by today's exchange rate. Wow. That's a lot of money for a lot of people. Yeah. And I felt awful doing that. Yeah. They were scared. It's like this multi-billion dollar industry that they have built was scared of one person. That's incredible. So I felt very strongly about what's going on in Iran. It's the same thing. It's the same mentality, just making things up to control people. Right. So this, I I have some follow-up questions, but I'd like to hear both of your experiences and then compare them a little bit um, after that. And and then of course, talk about what's happening right now. So Saeed, when... Swarnika describes this and calls it, you know, a mini Iran. Does that sound familiar to you? And I'm curious, 
uh, especially like as a male, Mm -hmm. was your experience different? And when did you, were you outraged by these things at the same age that Swarnica was? But that's probably too many questions. So we can just start and say, what was your experience? What was your family's experience um, in Iran? Yeah. So yeah, as you said, like, you know, what, like my experience is coming from a very privileged point of view, like being a male, being mm. from the majority religion. Mm. Uh, and, and something you have to know in, about Iran is that if you are someone who's well off, you mm. can get away with a lot of things. So I wasn't a person who was in a lot of, you know, danger. I didn't feel personally I was in danger of anything happening to me unless I was going, you know, against very established lines. Like mm-hmm. they made it there. It's very clear in Iran. What's what are the lines not to cross? And um, it's much easier for men not to cross them than women. Yes. Yeah. You, you have to, you know, for you to get into real trouble is to, you know, start gathering, like establishing some sort of organization and talking uh, like a talking point that is against the government. Th- that's when you get into real trouble. But if you're, you know, just a normal person doing your normal thing, especially if you're a male and you're, you're relatively well off, you can get away with almost anything. Mm. So my, my experience uh, and, and something, some other thing is that in Iran, until you get to university, uh, schools are segregated. So the experience mm. of girls, unless you hear it at home or you're from friends or cousins, you men in Iran don't have a very clear picture of it. Um, mm. Unless you're in the did, society. Did you have sisters? Uh, yes. Mm. Um, but um, they're, they're from a different generation. So they're not from mm. a different generation. Yeah, so, but <laughs> there was a big change. Like, mm. um you know, when the revolution happened quickly, there was a big uh, U-turn where, you know, mm-hmm. an open society, especially in terms of uh, women's rights, changed the, the U-turn within like two, three years. Right. Uh, became very oppressive. And, right. and, that, and just for people listening, you're not talking about this revolution happening now. No, this is this this is in 1970s. Right. OK. Yeah. So very quickly, there was a repression of women started mm. and then Within three, four years, it was very well established. And then uh, now at this point, we are during the war years with Iraq. So there was this Mm -hmm. national emergency, Mm -hmm. which basically um, put everything else uh, to the side. Like Mm -hmm. war was the main thing, like main topic. And women's rights or any other thing was pushed aside. Mm -hmm. So until the war was over, then there was... Like started some opening up. That's when I, you know, things that I start to remember. I was born after the war was over, mm-hmm. so um, you know, if like girls who grew up during the war, when mm-hmm. they went to school, they could not wear socks that were colorful. Mm-hmm. They had to wear the school uniform, cover their hair completely. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no, you know, there was no place for you to cross the line. Mm-hmm. It was very strict. And then it started opening up. You, mm-hmm. you, you know, when I went to university, my classmates, uh, women, they were wearing much looser clothing. They, mm-hmm. they had a lot, you know, compared, comparatively, they had more freedoms. And did you go uh, to university in Tehran? No, or? no, no. no. Uh, 
Um, but I went to university for two two years. Okay. And, okay. Um, uh, it was a big university, so uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't Tehran, but the experience wasn't that different. Okay. Um, I, I was just wondering because my impression was that Tehran was a little more lax, and then maybe yeah. in more rural. Okay. Okay. But, yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in a big, larger city, so yes, I see. it wasn't okay. as open as Tehran, but it was fairly open. Okay. So relatively to the I understand. Okay. At large. Mm. So, um, you know, people started uh, asking for those freedoms and the government mm. started opening up. There was a period of time where um, the government, like several factions within the regime, they saw that um, they, they needed, they had it like a, they felt they needed to open up. They needed to open up to the world mm-hmm. and um, things started opening up. There was a period where uh, you know, print media became kind of open. There was relative hmm. freedom, but hmm. from that, the government saw they were. Then they started seeing um, some mini like uh, protests, and mm. when that started happening, you mm-hmm. see a quick and rapid, uh, you know, mm-hmm. crackdown of the freedoms, and then the government started closing ranks. So anyone even within the administration, within the clergy, who had some sort of a um, more open-minded view was pushed aside. Mm -hmm. So even today, even though you see on the streets, uh, you you can clearly see it in the chants that they're going after the clergy, they're going Mm -hmm. after the regime, people um, know that they are, even people within the clergy, maybe even a large majority of them who are not with the regime, Mm-hmm. who have a different view of what uh, role of religion in society needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the, the government has become more and more closed rank. And now with the new president, it's at a point where everyone is of the same ideology. There is no um, discussion. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no point for uh, you know, any kind of hope that anything will change for the better. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that, that's the point that uh, we are now at. It's, mm-hmm. uh, people have realized that this, um, maybe a dream, or m- maybe we can call mm-hmm. it a pipe dream mm-hmm. of a uh, reform is mm-hmm. dead, ha- has been dead for probably 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And people have today, when something that is different today uh, is that clearly people are not on the street looking for a dialogue they're not Mm-mm. they're not when they when they're taking the head scars off they have crossed the line but which the uh, this regime cannot give in mm-hmm. it, it, it's something that is um it, it's kind of like a lifeline if if they if they try to lax mm-hmm. it, it, the, the what the regime stands on that's it all crumbles yes Mm-hmm. Um, so um, people are not, and, and something that is I see also different within the um, Iranian people outside, especially in the West. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it was very clear these are people who are overwhelmingly against the regime. Mm-hmm. And in the previous, there were you know in two thousand nine there was a large protest, mm-hmm. and in those protests people were still looking for a dialogue. They were looking for mm-hmm. someone. To give them some rights, and you didn't see 
a large groups like large um, gathering and support from outside the country. Mm-hmm. So the fact that people have inside Iran have gotten to the point has sent the message to people outside mm-hmm. that now is the time that we are in agreement. We, we all agree on the same thing and mm-hmm. we can wholeheartedly support them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something that is quite like, I think, yes, revolutions. Um, sometimes when you look at a history, you think, oh, it happened in four months. I, I don't know if it will happen in four months. And mm-hmm. um, the regime has still a lot more, um, you know, uh, repressive forces in its, you know, in its yeah. hand. Yeah. It can, you know, it has forces that it has not used yet. So yeah. I don't think the regime is crumbling, you no. know, soon. But yeah. this uh, this um, this movement uh, cannot be put. Like, there is no way that this th- there is any kind of give um, or any kind of um, settlement that will keep regime this regime in place long term. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The line in the sand has been drawn and. It's it's a stark and a clear one for both groups of people now. Yes. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's. Yeah. The government even like you know you can see it in their media that mm-hmm. uh, they they come in and say that oh we're here to hear we're like they say oh that's fine but you know people know it and they know it that there no one is there for a dialogue. Uh, Sayed, what would you say is the heart? I mean, we know that yeah. the event that sparked this yeah. was the murder of this young woman. Can you say her name? Masai Amini. Okay, Masai Amini. And, yeah, and she's Kurdish, so I think the name that they used for her at home was Gina, because uh, in Iran, the, another thing is, uh, especially when probably when she was born, these names, these kinds of names were not allowed. So Masa is probably not the preferred name for her. Uh, and they didn't let her family choose Gina. So just call her Gina at home. I see. And why is she not allowed to be called that? Because, you know, at the place where they give names to people, they have a list of names that you're allowed to give. And this changes by, you know, time. So that sometimes they allow this name and sometimes they don't. I see. So at the time when she was born, they probably didn't allow anyone to have. I don't, I don't know if you can name your child gina today probably not definitely not now but like six months ago but definitely uh, that's what happened yeah and i think this is an amazing thing that you just brought up because again this is the kind of thing that someone who's grown up in a society like me like i can't fathom the idea of a government telling you you can't name your child something this is completely outside of the realm of possibility for me and i'm so glad that you just raised that point um, partly because I think we should honor her and her family's wishes yeah. by calling her Gina. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it was sparked by that event. Yeah. But when you talk about like no side can give any quarter, no side can give in, what mm-hmm. would you say, how would you summarize the heart um, or the yeah, fundamental so- difference of the two sides here, the people and the government? Like what is the fundamental issue that there's just, there's no agreement on? So, um, like, I think there, there's a lot, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure if you heard of this song that has become kind of a mm-hmm. uh, anthem. 
anthem of this movement, which is, mm-hmm. which is called Baraye, which translates to four. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, relatively unknown artist, mm-hmm. um, Shervine uh, Hajjarpur, or ha- uh, Shervin, I, I forget his last name uh, mm-hmm. right now. He, 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 what he did, he went on Twitter and he looked at uh, when Masa Amini was killed, uh, hashtag Masa Amini became uh, mm-hmm. very large. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, his last name is Hajipur, Mas- uh, Sherwin Hajipur. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, he went on Twitter and he looked at, he, he looked at the hashtag and people at the time were trying to uh, answer a reason, answer to, to say why they were on the streets. And they started their tweet with the word baraye, which is four. And he mm-hmm. translated that to a song. Mm-hmm. So when you read what he's saying, I think at the heart of the movement, it's women's rights. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, uh, there's a lot of other things. There's, um, there's the economic situation, the mishandling, uh, mm-hmm. the level of corruption uh, that, the, that the regime has uh, basically harbored. Mm-hmm. And um, and then um, something that I think is kind of maybe not understood properly is the role that Islam has to play in this. Mm-hmm. So um, some people feel that people are um, against Islam, mm-hmm. and um, I think maybe a small minority are, mm-hmm. but I think the overwhelming majority is mm-hmm. this hatred of what government does mm-hmm. or what has done. Uh, in these 40 years in mm-hmm. in um, basically uh, going through schools and uh, you are taught this version of Islam mm-hmm. which uh, you are you are supposed to believe as the only version mm-hmm. and its ultimate goal is to justify um, the, uh, the the regime it's their uh, where, where their power is just justified based on mm-hmm. it so mm-hmm. uh, there's a line in there and it says which translates to for this compulsory heaven mm. so you are you are told that you have to follow this mm-hmm. there is no uh, you know there, you, you don't have any choice in this Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, like if, if you, it's to a point where I can see it in my generation and uh, people, uh, and, and I see it in in Iranian people uh, in general. It's created people who have like a two face. They they are mm-hmm. they have an external face mm-hmm. where they they have been taught um, what lines not to cross, how mm-hmm. to behave, how to how to. Um, how to practice their religion, how to uh, speak, how to and do anything um, externally so that mm-hmm. they don't cross lines. They, um, and then there's an internal side, which is mm-hmm. um, for a lot of people, something that they don't share with anyone or, mm-hmm. or in a lot of cases, just with very, very close family. Mm-hmm. So they have created this in, like an in, internal struggle, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of us Iranians struggle with. Mm-hmm. And what, um, what is, when they say it's something, or compulsory heaven, it's something that we all understand what it means. So I think mm-hmm. he's captured, uh, you know, it's a two minute song, two, two minutes something. Mm-hmm. 
And I think he's captured a lot of the reason. It's, as I mentioned, it's economy, it's women's rights, mm -hmm. it's environmental issues. Um, it's, um, there's, a, there's another line in there. There's a picture of Hamid Ismailiun and his daughter. He is the spokesman for the families uh, of people who lost um, uh, loved ones in, mm. uh, when the Ukrainian flight was down. Mm. And there's a line in there and it says, um, or um, for um, uh, to be able to recreate this picture. Yeah, to be able to recreate this picture, right? Mm. So it's a, it's a hope that uh, there's time that comes that uh, we can recreate this, something that uh, can be recreated. So it's a very, very um, hopeful message mm. looking at something that we all know will never be recreated. Mm. So I think... And um, tell me, tell me, tell me about that picture. Um, it's a picture of like a father with a young daughter yeah. who was killed on that flight the regime shot down yeah. and it, what it, what it mm -hmm. tells me is like all of my good memories is when um, i'm allowed to uh, be myself like mm -hmm. it's inside a home uh, where i know the regime is not watching me like um, yeah. it's a it's a uh, picture from a birthday yeah uh, you know yeah. like I have pictures from my childhood I have, a, I have a birthday where you know they're all small girls it's uh, small girls and boys it's mixed mm. um and I have a very good memory of that but yeah uh, when I think of my school years when I went to university um when I was outside mm -hmm. I never felt happy I, I didn't feel like I could be myself I just had to go to the society, deal yeah. with different, and then just come back home. Um, and just life was kind of miserable like that. Um, mm. So it, it is a, it's a very, it's something that when the people say the word hate, it's something that they have, um, it's a, it's a hatred that has built up over the years. Yeah. Um, they mean it. Word, You're not yeah. using the word lightly. No. It's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Why could you not be yourself outside? What was the threat? What was the danger? So, um, like, I, I, I remember, so every school, when you go to, uh, like, especially high school, there's a school mm -hmm. counselor. Mm -hmm. And when they, they say the they use the word counselor, but this is a guy from uh, basically some sort of um, security administration. He's just there to watch out who's the kid uh who who can cause problem mm -hmm. and i remember he was always like would look at me and say why are you always laughing right mm -hmm. it, it's not something that is it's not normal to them it's it's um for someone to uh you know um try to um at least have a resemblance of normalcy mm -hmm. is not normal to them so um, you're always, I don't know how to um, describe mm. it, but, um, it, it, you know, if, if for example, um, let's say um, you want, you, you have a passion for uh, music, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, I remember I was listening to this um, NPR interview with this very well-known Iranian 
um, uh, artist. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that his instrument is called sitar and it's a yeah. common in mm -hmm. both Iran, Iran and India. Mm -hmm. And he said Iranian sitars are much smaller. And the reason is that uh, the clergy are not, don't like music. So mm -hmm. these guys who made the instruments made them so they would fit under someone's like coat. Mm. So you wanted to play music, you had to hide it. You had to go inside your own home, hopefully somewhere that that's you know a small home that has a like large space to the next next door neighbor because you you never know who's listening and play your music. Um, when, uh, like in the 1990s, when video cassettes were coming out, mm -hmm. people were hiding videotapes mm -hmm. to take it from one home to another. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, you know, they, they have this ideology that something mm -hmm. is bad. So it gets, go, goes down the chain of command. And this guy is on the street and they told him, you know, any guy you see with, um, long hair and he has a guitar with him see what's wrong with him right yeah. uh, you see any guy who has tattoos uh, like for example if you have a tattoo and you go get a driver's license in Iran you need to go see a psychiatrist to they have to prove that they have to validate so that you have any mental problem or not wow. right so to them they think you know this is all for criminals and people who have mental problems so it's something that is very normal to them that, yeah. you know, no one is supposed to be happy. Like the first line in uh, Sherwin's song is uh, for being able to dance on the streets, for being yeah. able to um, not be scared when you uh, kiss your loved one. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, maybe we don't um, understand it here. People don't understand it here, but it's it's a real it's a real thing in Iran. Yeah. I feel like what you're saying to me, mm -hmm. and and I feel like I've heard this um, from people who came from deep within Soviet nations and other super repressive places, is that there's more to it than, and, and I don't understand this, and maybe you can explain it to me. Mm -hmm. It's not as simple as, um, you know, we interpret the Quran to say you can't do X, Y, Z, so you can't do it and we're going to enforce that or you know in again like these soviet nations like the uh communist party says you can't do this so you can't do this there mm -hmm. almost seems to be a desire to actually eliminate um joy and swanika i'm curious about your impression of this as well as because you're such an unbelievably talented artist but also self-expression it seems like ha just actual feelings of happiness or joy and any act of self-expression um, is somehow threatening, even if it's not a particular rule. Um, it's not just zealous, uh, religious, mm -hmm. or party zealots. There's mm -hmm. there's an actual offense taken to that. And am, am I, is that what you're saying to me? And yeah. if you're saying yeah, I, that, how is that threatening? This is... Yes, exactly. It's, it's something mm. that if you look at it, like, in terms of women, mm, yeah, they want women to be invisible. Mm, they yes. don't want just women to be covered. They don't yes. want them to just dress in a covered way. They have to be unobtrusive. They shouldn't yeah. laugh too loudly. They shouldn't mm. 
they should wear bright colors like you can't wear red or orange yeah. all the colors i've grown up wearing you can't wear mm, them right because they would be too visible yeah and like an example of that is like if you go to a small town in iran and you small conservative town and you see women in their 80s and 90s when you see them walking around they're wearing the chador this is uh you know when they talk about hijab in iran chador mm. is the preferred method of hijab covering mm. yourself for women Mm-hmm. But when you see those women, they're wearing uh, chador that that's colorful. It has mm-hmm. flowers. It's mm-hmm. red and pink and white. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you see the people on on the street who are pro regime and they're wearing chador, they're all black. Right. Right. It's uh, see that's where it's different. In India, women are supposed to be modest as well, mm-hmm. like especially in smaller cities and villages. You're supposed to modestly cover yourself. Mm-hmm. but they wear every color under the rainbow yes right they're not they're not supposed to be invisible right and and they're ornamented as well yes mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. dance together they sing together it's so it's right the, like they're the, they're not supposed to be invisible right right so what is this what is this threat of what is this threat of of happiness of joy of self-expression what how is that what is that that's something that i have i've lived in iran for 20 years and i never understood it i never I understood um you know uh, you have to understand that there is here's the thing abrahamical religions do have a little bit of an obsession with sobriety like yeah sober colors just yeah i mean i look at like uh, i i'm very much into history i watch a lot of historical mm-hmm. like documentaries mm-hmm. what's with the obsession of draping women in black and browns and grays yeah yeah there's no joy in life like what well is that? i i think i think it has something to do with breaking a spirit i think i think i think removing the color removing the self-expression removing mm-hmm. the joy i think it has to do with breaking your spirit it's mm-hmm. just i mean it's to go to a different example and i think there's a a point behind this it's really almost like what they do at a boot camp right like with the mm-hmm. even with the military is everybody looks the same you cut all your hair and the idea is we're going to break down your spirit and we're going to build you back together as a team mm-hmm. um there there's there's something i'm i'm not criticizing necessarily how the military does that because it's for a period of time and for that purpose or whatever mm-hmm. but i think it's got to it's got to be that if they can break your spirit well you're not going to get together and from a revolution and you're not going to um it's almost like once you lose hope what are you even going for anymore yes yeah i i think i think th- that is you know um you know what you're saying is right it's just when i was living in iran mm-hmm. and i would question like there's there's places like in school you can, mm-hmm. you can ask that question right you can go to your we have a like uh you know like a religious uh period where they t- teach religion mm-hmm. when you go ask that question you never get a you know satisfying answer mm. um so yeah i, I don't like mm. i think what you're saying is correct it it was um it was their way of making sure because when when the revolutions happened mm-hmm. it wasn't like 
it was purely a religious even mm. supporters of uh, right. Khomeini, the first uh, supreme leader they were not the overwhelming majority they mm-hmm. had uh, they had to um, push aside a lot of different yeah groups had, yeah yeah know, they had to consolidate their power yes they are communists they are liberals they had uh more like nationalists who had some yeah. religious undertones and they one by one they pushed them away so they had this threat that people who looked a certain way belonged to this ideology so i think maybe maybe that's where it came from hmm. Um, hmm. so yeah and, and a lot of these people who are in charge today they're all you know they're in their late 70s mm-hmm. right um so it's not the, the mentality i think um has 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 been shaped based on their experience um, you know, they say if you are, if you have, um, you know, if you have seen violence, mm-hmm. you might be more open to inflicting it on others. So, mm-hmm. you know, some of these people who are in power today were in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, you know, one mm-hmm. of the things that's going on that prison, Evin prison, where yes. a lot of the intellectuals, a lot of yes. um, two yeah. American citizens are yes. uh, are there. Yeah. Um, so um, some some of these guys were in were in there. They um, they thought, and they 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 probably are right that the reason that Shah fell was that eventually he gave up. Mm. He 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 at some point was like killing my people. I I've killed enough people. Mm. Don't don't want me anymore, and he left. So. Mm. They, the reason they're cracking down like this mm-hmm. is that they have seen um, that they, they have seen violence. So mm-hmm. to a certain degree, they're okay with it. And mm-hmm. they also have seen the mistakes that Shah did, um, which led to his downfall. So I, I think that that is uh, built into their psyche. It's, it's not. Yeah. yeah there. Yeah. 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 So what is what is happening? in Iran right now? What's the situation well, on the ground? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, the, the protests are still going on, especially mm-hmm. I think at night. Mm-hmm. Um, government has r- restricted internet a lot, so it's very difficult to make. I think video calls are out of the question. You might get lucky to be able to get through someone through like WhatsApp mm-hmm. um, to have a quick call. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's they have they, that has been going on since it started. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, uh, a couple of days ago, um, there was a um, raid on a high school in the city of Ardabil. Yeah, and um, they um, these um, people without any uniform went to the school. Uh, these men went to this this girl high school and uh, beat up a bunch of students. One of them, unfortunately, died. Yeah, um, and um, they brought up uh, they brought this girl's uncle on tv and they 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 it's their normal practice whoever mm-hmm. dies under their they they come up with, oh this person had this medical condition so his uncle came on tv and said oh she had a heart problem so how right. do, how do they get the uncle to do that do they threaten him does he yeah. do they give him money what do they do yeah. so uh, one of the other girls who mm-hmm. was killed and um uh, by them and she actually burned her hijab in a protesters video of that and then mm-hmm. she was missed she was missing for about a week mm-hmm. and they eventually uh said that she was killed by someone and she fell from a, a, a height mm-hmm. um and they, they said that she had killed herself 
So every time something like that happens, yeah, they make up a story. And yeah. when that happened, they um, that girl's um, uh, aunt and uncle, mm-hmm. they were told that they were going to get killed mm-hmm. if they did not come on TV and um, you know approve, approve like basically uh, give credibility to the message they want to send. Yeah. Um, there was another woman about maybe a couple of months ago. Um, she had an altercation with a uh, woman who did not like her hijab. So mm. uh, there was an altercation and uh, other women helped this woman and they pushed the woman who was trying to force her to correct her hijab out of the bus. And this woman was arrested. Mm-hmm. And a few days later, she was put on national TV and she said that she was sorry and she you could clearly see that this woman was very badly treated, probably beaten up and was just shown there sitting there to give a confession. It's their normal practice. It's one thing I would say in Iran is that the government makes it very, very easy for you to know what's right and what's wrong because whatever they're telling you is a lie. Whatever Mm. it is. It's, it's growing up in Iran was very easy to know who's lying and who's is telling you the truth. It was very easy. So, wow. Um, yes. So um, like, for example, when the Ukrainian flight was uh, down for the first few days, they were saying, oh, it was an accident. Uh, they, first, they said that there was no missile. And then they, they, now they're saying that it was a accident. For sure, <laughs> there's no no doubt in anyone's mind in Iran that this was pre- premeditated. They 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 yeah, or they knew which flight to do because they picked the Ukrainian airline because it wasn't a country where could do anything to right. Iran. It wasn't a close right. ally. Uh, a lot of the people who were on it were Canadians. Uh, there were no Americans on board at the time. If you remember, like a Trump administration was very hawkish. So it's, it's surprising that then there were no Americans on board. So um, it, it was a clear, like there's a lot of indications showing that there was very, very, there was, this was a very calculated move. Yeah. And um, people have, people, people have, um, you know, they have 40 years of experience. They have, yeah. they know the regime's uh, handbook. And so, Saeed, was this just you? Were you like, oh, that's baloney? I know that's baloney. Or do you do you really think that everybody's just like, if the government's talking, they're lying? I, I don't know if it was as widespread, honestly. Like, um, like when I went to school, mm. I remember there was a one time when, uh, I don't remember if you remember, we had this president who was very famous in the West because he kept denying the Holocaust. His name was Ahmadinejad. Mm. And okay. uh, he came to, to my town. I was in high school at the time. And mm-hmm. they wanted to force us to go to um, the protest, like not, not the protest, like the pro-government, um, you know, event mm-hmm. where people were ch- like, you know, celebrating his coming and he was going to give a speech. Mm-hmm. And in my high school, me and another one of my friends were the only ones who refused to go. Wow. Everyone else, they, a lot of them, I mean, I don't blame them. They they just went there and then got off the bus and went home. But they, you know, for me, it was, you know, I, I didn't like the look of it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people, I feel like, I don't think it's happening today. It's clearly not happening today. I, I see a lot of people um, um, crossing those lines. I can give you Resisting. one. Resisting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like there, I think it was today in the news mm-hmm. that the uh, rock climber mm-hmm. uh, from Iran, um, her name, um, yeah. uh, I, if I can look her name, but um, she was in Korea in a uh, international competition and she went uh, with, with the Iran emblem, with the Islamic Republic flag on her chest and with no hijab. Yeah, and I saw that. The, the bravery to yeah. go is every time any team from Iran goes anywhere, yeah. people from the uh, you know security system go with them. The if there yeah. is an embassy there, they send people to watch what these people are doing. Yeah. So the fact that she did that, yeah. um, it, it's showing that you know this is this has gotten to a point. Um, so I don't think it's true today, but yeah. back then, I felt like some people so there were some people who had some trust. Right. Um, and you can see it, like, for example... Well, like you said, even... Go ahead. I was going to say, like, uh, Iran has its own, like, you know, uh, TV news, like their, mm. their own TV. And when I was in Iran, like, in 2010, maybe, like, a, you know, a sizable portion of the public would watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they trusted it or not, that was, a like, maybe there was a, you know gray area mm-hmm. but today people who are watching it are uh watching it maybe for comedy wow or, uh or just or just yeah very dark comedy yeah yeah exactly yeah. so or just see what's what they're trying to lie about that. right Right. And you said a little while ago, you said, you know, there was kind of the semi revolution, I think maybe 10 years ago, and it was like, well, we can have a dialogue. And yes. now it's like there's no there's no dialogue. Yeah, there is no were, dialogue. Yeah, people were on the street in 2009 protesting mm. an election. They went to mm. the street. They were saying, "Where is my vote?" They were not. They were not questioning the. They, they, they did not dare. Like they, you could hear, there were some calls against like the supreme leader or the regime, mm. but they were they were very small minority, and you could hear people chanting back at them saying, "Don't go that far." Yeah. Uh, so. Um, personally at the time, you know, I went and voted for, you know, the, the president who was siding with the green movement because right. it was, you know, uh, not the worst choice. Like you, yeah. you have a choice, you go and take it. Right. Yeah. So, um, but I didn't feel like, you know, I felt strong enough to put my life for my family. Right. Name. Right. Um, right. So, right. And I think some, some people felt like that. Right, uh, but even then, there were a lot of people who were on the street. Uh, I knew, I, I, I know of people, my friends who were briefly arrested, uh, mm-hmm. but it was nothing like today. It's um, right. Yeah. Well, so this, this, I, I kind of have two interrelated questions, although they, they might seem different. M- my first question is, uh, for me, this mm-hmm. felt out of the blue. I mean, obviously, it seems like conditions are set to revolt against like it wasn't a surprise to me that there's a repressive regime but it felt like whoa i i didn't i didn't see that coming um 
for you guys who are much closer to the situation, um, have family there, have a lot of experiences, did this feel like a ticking time bomb? Did it feel like, well, that's the one event that sort of um, got publicized, but this has been building up. Um, We've been been getting close. There's been a lot of things they just haven't been reported on. Or to you, did it feel like it did to me? Like, oh, now's the moment. I didn't see it coming, but now's the moment. Um, Let's seize it. Mm-hmm. And well, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll ask the yeah, next so, question next, I guess. So, like, what? I, I'm not surprised that some sort of you know um, uh, uprising happened. Mm. What is surprising to me is people's calls to end the regime, because mm. you know there were like a couple of years ago there mm-hmm. was the uh, protest movement which lasted a very short period. The government cut off the internet killed you know a few hundred people and mm. it stopped mm. and so isn't it crazy how you can say that so it's just yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and the the fact of the matter was that that last the big movement from a couple of years ago was actually happening in the small towns and more mm. uh, uh, rural areas where the regime mm. has its, you know has its own people like mm-hmm. you know when you talk about where the supporters of the regime they're in the outskirts of the city they're usually not as well off they're in the more um conservative towns and that's where it happened most of the massacre happened in those like cities that even i was not familiar with they were so small that i was maybe have not, not heard of them so the fact that something happened because the economic situation especially after um, you know, uh, 2017, when JCP, the, nucle- the nuclear agreement was, uh, yes. sanctions were moved, this economic situation has gotten really bad. Like um, when I left in Iran in 2010, I think uh, dollar was, uh, the price basically has dropped by, by a factor of like 11. Whoa. And wow. So the economic situation made me think, that I would not be surprised if something happens. Yeah, this is just not tenable. Yes, but the fact that people um, have, um, you know, have come to this collective decision that, you know, this is the time, this, you know, we are done with negotiating, we're not, we're done with asking. And something that maybe was a sign was the low turnout in the last two elections. Mm. There was a parliamentary election when just COVID was starting, mm-hmm. where uh, there was very low turnout. And they actually, uh, that was a very few, first few days of um, uh, COVID where they basically denied COVID existed until the election was over. Mm. And so they tried to get people out and very, very small number of people did. And then this last presidential election, which even lower number, there was a lower turnout. That was maybe a, you know, sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, elections have always you you had very limited choices. And in this like last presidential election, there was no one who was better than any of the other candidates. So mm-hmm. people didn't really have any choices. So, but the low turnout was still maybe a sign that something has changed. Uh, but yeah, I, I was surprised, like the fact that it has gone to this point, uh, the message and the where the society is, has decided this regime is going to, that is a surprise to me. Okay. Yeah. 
So based on your experiences, um, mm-hmm. both of you have shown a, a lot of courage. Um, I mean, if I'm being honest, probably more than I would have had. I, I'd like to think courage. otherwise. It doesn't mm-hmm. take courage to speak about this when you're safely closeted in a different country. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, no, I mean, you, um, Swarnika, on your campus in India, when you said, no, I'm not going to go back and change, and you kept questioning. Um, and you, Saeed, when you said, no, I'm not going to go to this rally. But it feels like it's even... And again, I don't know that I would have had the courage in either of those, Um, but it feels like what thousands of people are doing now is even another level up in that it's quite, the stakes are, nobody thinks anything of killing people. It's when you, it's when you step outside your home, you, you're not assured that you're going to come back alive. Mm -hmm. Yes. Where they know when they're going to protest, they they know they're very well aware that right. they might be killed. Right. Where where is this courage coming from? How does it how does it just like come upon a group of people? Like how does that happen? I think it's just when you're driven to the point of desperation that it can't get worse. It it brings you that courage. I mean, how much can a country take how much can people take young people who are growing when when we first started dating over there no when mm. we first started dating here mm-hmm. used to tell me about life in iran mm. like and one common theme is you know parents are expected to buy a house for their kids when mm-hmm. they get married mm-hmm. and that's not a thing in india you buy your own houses mm. and i asked him why that's the case mm-hmm. and he said it's because if unless you have generational wealth unless you have family wealth or your parents have somehow become very rich you just by having a job can never buy a house by yourself Hmm. you could never be truly independent you will always have to rely on your parents money that's not a way to live Hmm. it's an entire generation of people who are losing agency over their lives Hmm. It's it's boiling over, I suppose, at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I actually talked with her about. So if I, like she used the word uh, despair. I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see despair. I, I see uh, people who are on the street. There's, there's a lot of hope. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. people in Iran, um, they, 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 they look around. They see neighboring countries you can look at their their state you, you look at like uh uae you look at mm-hmm. um uh, qatar you look at mm-hmm. countries you know uh, when i was coming to the u.s in 2010 uh, i went to the u.s embassy in dubai mm-hmm. and uh, for happenstance we had to go to a hospital there was a medical situation mm-hmm. and we ended up at a hospital which was donated by the shah of iran before the revolution to the Dubai, mm. Dubai because they couldn't have their own hospital. So mm-hmm. people are looking around and they're saying how like the world around them has changed. Yeah, there's been this I reversal think, of fortunes and we know who's to blame. And we know who's to blame and they know that 
if if they are if this regime is gone mm-hmm. there whoever comes mm-hmm. as long as we get to a system where um you know we have some minimums right even mm-hmm. you know simple like i was thinking of um your life liberty and your pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. is not dependent on mm-hmm. your religion or how you look today yeah as long as those minimums are not met people know that you know iran has one of the highest liter- like uh, levels of higher education in, in yeah. the middle there's, yeah there's a lot of um potential you know, potential yes. mm-hmm. and people know that if uh, all their uh, money was not wasted on uh you know pr- proxy war- wars all over mm. the middle east iran was be doing even under this regime would be doing much better mm. so i think the, the obviously i haven't lived in iran so i don't really have a good picture of the economic situation mm. i have heard some that people there are there is a lot of uh you know despair but i think even people who are having a lot of difficulty mm. there is hope when they're they are not they they know that even if they might get arrested or get killed but they know that um you know the future is is going to be better so i think mm. um i don't yeah it's just that word despair it's not something that I, I, i when i see what's going on i don't think that's that captures it so saeed do you think that people can be successful here eventually yes mm-hmm. like um you know you, you can see that the the way that this regime has closed ranks mm-hmm. you know when, when i when you ask me um 10 years ago name some politicians in iran i would be able to tell you you know 20 names mm-hmm. right but if you ask me today um and i give you names someone's going to tell me oh like half of them are in prison or four of them are no longer in office they're you know doing they're sitting at home um you know doing something that is away from the government so mm-hmm. i think this regime has put itself in a place where it's going to lose more and more of its uh you know current level um that's why you know if you like i'm not sure if you know there's some some of the uh, forces they're using on the street to uh against the protesters are people like their their forces from Lebanon and Iraq mm-hmm. because they don't have enough people um so i think so we can take come. a minute also to salute the courage of the people who are leaving those forces yes mm-hmm. so um i think um uh, th- that day will come i don't i don't like i have to be realistic i don't think mm-hmm. it's it's going to be tomorrow uh that will happen or next month but um you know uh, i i'm uh, i don't know if i've ever told uh, swarnika this but mm. i daydream a lot like mm. things that are kind of ridiculous in my mind but i mm. wish they would happen and they're almost always about uh, soccer or football because in mm. iran it's a, it's a big deal so mm-hmm. like you know the world cup is coming up and i you know sometimes i'm sitting by myself and i'm dreaming about iran like doing something in the world cup that is you know really ridiculous mm. but i before this happened i had never thought of being able to go to a free run and mm. uh, since uh, you know we were talking about speaking with you it was for the first time that i was like 
it might happen. So, oh. Uh, Here's the thing: we, as husband and wife, can't visit there. Yeah, because I don't con because because I won't convert. Our marriage is not recognized there. Why is that? I'm not Muslim. That's yeah. why. Okay. So they they that like a you know they in order assume, to submit yeah. submit uh they, like submit yeah. your marriage documentation to run an embassy. There's a there's a form in there. Yeah. So I actually looked it up because you know he was just curious. More for yeah. you know comedy. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It just automatically assumes that I've converted to Islam. Yeah. Ask me to my pick your Muslim name. Right. And uh... and even if it's just a formality, that's not something I'll yeah. do. And it's I... just it goes against everything I stand for. It's simply I won't do. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Your yeah yeah your integrity is important to you. You're not Muslim. You're not going to say you are. And I would never want, you know. I would have never married anyone who would have any such expectation. Yeah. Who would even right. like be okay with me converting? I wouldn't have married anyone who thought that. Right, right. So, I would like our kids to be able to know that part of their heritage too. Of course, yeah, yeah. I would like us to, to be able to visit Iran, yeah, as a family, and for them to to be able to understand that that country's history, not just for example i i've, I've right. interacted with sai's nephews and they have a understandably a very negative view of iran they've grown up in the us they've they were born here they've grown up here they've never yeah. been to iran mm -hmm. but they don't they lack the contextual understanding of why it's so bad it's because right. they don't have any happy memories associated with it right but right and that 40 years 40 years is um a very small you know, portion of history. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. the 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 movement for Iran's like uh, liberation and having a mm. liberal democracy is more than a hundred hundred years old now. It started mm. with you know transferring from a absolute monarchy to a constitutional monarchy. Um, another like even what led to the revolution was you know decades and decade long effort uh, and um you know work to get to a point where shah uh led led, led to his ouster uh, his ouster mm -hmm. but um i i personally think uh you you brought up the uh, the soviet connection I, I, mm. and i and i i think see that kind of ending for the mm -hmm. regime i think uh, one day we're gonna wake up and some sort of wall has broken down, and oh. the system is gonna collapse. That, mm. That's my hope, uh, because what I fear is the amount of uh, weaponry and yeah. arm that they have. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. on the other side, I, I see the level of corruption, the level of you, you can see it in the coverage that they they are even fighting against themselves over the money it, it's very clear mm. court cases that they br bring up against one another and so i think that that uh you know that collapse internally is coming and mm. uh, the regime is going to by you know uh shooting people and then arresting these people is mm. gonna shrink its own base further and further so i think mm. that day is coming 
Saeed, I, I hope and truly, truly pray mm-hmm. that you are right. I really do. I really do. I really do. I, I really do. What, um, I mean, what, what do you do? Like this is, this is the Iranian people's fight. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no, you know, you do what you can and you hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is it? What can, what can anybody do? You can, you can talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. this is something I saw from my own experience when I was, mm-hmm. I felt very alone when I was the only mm-hmm. one standing up to a very powerful administration who, mm-hmm. in, for whom it was a very real possibility that they would harm me physically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if people don't speak, even if people didn't speak up openly, the fact that they came to me and said, you know, we are with you. Mm-hmm. That helped a lot. The fact that this has been going on for about a month now, mm-hmm. it's in no small part because the Western world is actually watching it now. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to fight when you feel that you're not just fighting in vacuum, that somebody mm-hmm. cares. Mm-hmm. So if anybody has a voice, they should use their voice for good. They should mm-hmm. be able to spread the message for people who are not being allowed to talk about it themselves. Mm-hmm. And something that I hear from some people in the Iranian diaspora, they give the example of uh, South Africa. Mm. What they hope to achieve is that there becomes this consensus, uh, especially in the West, that the Iranian regime is not something we want to compromise with. Is right. want a global pressure campaign to go after because you know th- there are there are sanctions in place mm-hmm. and in my view sanctions even though they do affect the bottom line of the regime it's also given itself part of the reason that corruption and the power that they have is be- because of it because they haven't had to compete with any external forces. Mm-hmm. So what I hope happens mm-hmm. is that there's this, uh, you know, consensus on the West that the Iranian regime is not something that we should have any kind of interaction with. They should mm-hmm. hopefully isolate the regime mm-hmm. and um, uh, force it to um, at least um, when it in this crackdown be more careful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's something that the best that we can hope. Yeah. Yeah. Anything from outside Iran. Right. Um, take uh, take a page from the Iranian people themselves when it comes to the credibility of the uh, promises. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Hmm. Well, you guys have given me an awful lot of time. I'm so grateful. I'm really... Um, we are very grateful to you for giving us an opportunity to talk more about this. Yeah. Mm, mm. I I just want to reiterate, Saeed, like my heart is just... I I share your hope. I really do. And I, I do pray for it. Um, 
and I'm I'm thankful that I can share this. Um, so hopefully other people with even more of a platform can um, speak to the issues even more, you know, more loudly and more clearly. Um, and I'm glad that you made it clear that that does make a difference. I think sometimes you feel like, well, really, what difference does it make? I'm glad that you shared that it really does. That is kind of, yeah, it's very difficult to you know, get to a point where you feel like, oh, yes, this makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we real quickly talk about this recipe before I let you go? Oh, just yeah. <laughs> I think what I'm going to have to do is just plop it into the beginning when I edit, where we talked about your cultures coming together. Yeah. Um, I think we got in so deeply so quickly. Um, we didn't get to do it, but I would love to hear about, um, again, like as we talk about the fact that this this last 40 years um, doesn't define Iran, especially because it is the Iranian people themselves that are rising up against this. Like that's what defines mm -hmm. Iran, right? Is this yeah. unbelievable courage that people um, are showing right now. Um, so as we talk about what's good about Iran and um, recognize that, can you guys talk about um, when you brought your food cultures together and Swarnika, maybe you can speak to learning this dish yeah. and, and um, the first time you tried it. Um, so the first time I tried this was, I think, on our third date. Mm. Um, I suggested we go. So Saida's, well, at least he didn't used to be a food person. Mm. <laughs> like when we first started dating together and you know he was in the same building so we were just like I was over at his place all the time mm. and I once came in and I saw him eating steamed Brussels sprouts like mm -hmm. and that physically hurt me like <laughs> that's not food <laughs> what's something you get served in a prison camp like what's wrong with you <laughs> if you're gonna eat Brussels sprouts at least put some olive oil roast it with some salad some garlic <laughs> Balsamic vinegar. Seriously, what a wrong? <laughs> but over time, he's you know learned to appreciate mm. food mm. that is not steamed, mm. unseasoned. Mm. So this was for our um, third date, and I suggested, why don't we try a Persian restaurant? Mm -hmm. And he found one. Mm -hmm. um, it was called Kolbe. Yes, and um, so. I went up to his apartment and he said, uh, he, he asked, he said, you know, I think you'll like this dish. And before he finished that sentence, I said, yeah, I was looking at the menu because I always look at the menu before I go. Oh, in advance. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know how exactly to pronounce it, but it was F-E-S-E. -E. And he's like, Fess in June. Yes. That's the <laughs> I wanted you to start. <laughs> um, so Iranian cuisine is a little bit limited for me because it's very mm -hmm. heavily meat-based and I'm not a big meat eater. Like I don't eat red meat at all. Okay. So any of the dishes that can be adapted with chicken, mm -hmm. every time I visit Said's family, that's, that's what his mom cooks for me. Oh, that's so thoughtful of yeah, her. Very, yeah, that's very nice of her. Like okay. even when I visit his sisters, that's they stick to all the dishes that can be cooked with poultry. Ah, and Fess and June is like it's always at the center of that. And 
it's a very comforting dish and it has flavors that i would never have thought of putting together mm. like it's very, this dish is very different from anything i i see in indian food like it's a pomegranate chicken and walnut stew mm-hmm. with some butternut squash in it to to thicken it and cut down the sweetness a little bit mm-hmm. and, when you, yeah go ahead when you talk about bringing sour to it what part brings the sour uh, pomegranate molasses. molasses the molasses yeah okay I I'm gonna have to try this brand that you gave me because I've used pomegranate molasses before and I didn't find it particularly sour so I bet it was like a very American version <laughs> that was more yeah. sweet than anything else in Iran it's uh, so it actually um, can vary a lot by the region mm-hmm. so the region that I actually like to eat from uh, that I live grew up in they like sour food a lot. It's most of Iran. They like sour food mm. more. So when you go and uh, get um, pomegranate molasses in Iran, most of the time it's not sweetened or sweetened very little. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's uh, sour taste is quite liked in Iran. Okay, this is really yeah. good to know. So for people, you can you can look in the show notes. It's going to be linked, but um, they recommend. Can you pronounce this brand for me? It's called Cortex. That's okay. the one I have. I haven't yeah, tried the, other. Yeah, that's the one that we had and it was good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. I will definitely make sure I get my hands on that specific brand to try this. Um, I did have another question. Um, Syed, when we were talking earlier about mm-hmm. um, just taking the, the, the joy out of life, um, you know, you were explaining the... Um, the the reason why the is it called the zatar the what's the name of the um very small instrument that you play zatar okay yes um the zatar it's so much smaller in iran because you know just limiting that did that did you find that that extended to food food? yeah um like so Something I would say is, so I, I grew up in a period where there was some opening. Mm. So um, when I was very young, mm. it was very rare that you would see restaurants with nice sitting down areas with lighting and, you know, Western style menus. So um, that was quite common. Like things were very, uh, you know, when you go to a restaurant, there were a few options and there was options were very limited. Mm. But Today, I think uh, it's not something that government really uh, goes after. You actually mm-hmm. see, you know, their, um, you know, this culture of, um, especially in the bigger cities, like especially Tehran, you can find anything. So mm. the government hasn't, no, I don't think food is something that they really uh, went after. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but again, like, for example, um, you know, if, if it was, uh, in, uh, you know, in addition to anything that was celebratory, mm-hmm. then they had some issues with, unless, unless it was some sort of like religious celebration, mm-hmm. um, it was, but no, I don't think food itself, I don't, uh, not you know, food I, itself, but yeah, if you were using it to celebrate something yeah. then the celebration itself was frowned upon, which is yeah. what's, yeah, to just, uh, even and, eating something to yeah go ahead and food in iran is something that's you know if you for you to have a good experience you need to go in someone's home 
So mm. people people don't like uh, kebabs are probably uh, something that is not doesn't fit that rule because kebab is something that you need to have a lot of experience with. You mm-hmm. need to be, like you know someone making kebab every day. He's probably better than you at uh, yeah than making it at home. But right. with the stew, it's something that needs a lot of cooking, needs a lot of loving. So people uh, don't really like. Uh, going to like I, I think most Iranians when they go to a restaurant they don't order the stew because mm-hmm. they like it the way that right <laughs> and it's different from one home to another so um, yeah it, that's something else like Fest and June like uh, you know I've had it in a lot of homes and they're all they're almost always different sometimes I get disappointed and sometimes oh that is interesting so, <laughs> Uh, it's something that's quite common in Iran like you know a lot of dishes that you say oh this is national dish but you go from one home to another it's very different right Um, right right exactly but this is your mother's version yes uh no I think Swarnika found it I found um so I don't follow I follow the recipe from this book yes oh I saw I saw the picture of the book Okay, so but your mom, your mom uses this recipe though. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. So my father is a picky eater, so my uh-huh. mom tries to u- usually, you know, follow his uh, likes yeah. and dislikes. Yeah. So um, you know, uh, yeah, it is different from my mom's. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, at the end, I, I like them both. Okay. Uh, I that. Okay. Well, I'm thrilled to try this one. To be honest with you, I have been waiting for someone to give me um, a Persian stew. So I'm absolutely thrilled with this recipe. And Swarnika, you said it's not very photogenic. No recipe that I get is photogenic. <laughs> it just doesn't happen anymore. I've never made and photographed this one. It's too difficult. It's that's that is like what I do. <laughs> In fact, um, one of the more difficult dishes I've ever been given was an Iranian dish. It was, um, I'm, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, I think, but it's Mirza Gassami. Gassami. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like eggplant cooked and mixed together with eggs. That's a tricky one. <laughs> this can't be harder to photograph than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, are you surprised? <laughs> well, you gave me the gift of pomegranate, so... <laughs> We'll do something with that. So, well, um, again, I just want to thank you guys uh, so much. Saeed, you really did give me that vision of um, like Iran winning the World Cup (laughs) on their home, (laughs) on a home turf someday. And I mean, I really do feel that the entire world would rejoice with you. And um, I, again, I join you in your hope and and pray that that will happen. And I just um, do want to, honor both of you for the courage that you've shown in your own lives. And um, again, just join with you in honoring the people of Iran and the unbelievable courage that they are showing um, right now against a very, very, very small minority of people that are ruling their their country. Yes. Thank you so much for having us here. It It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. much. I hope you have a nice evening too. You too. Take care, guys. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.